Do you remember when you were a little kid, how long it seemed like it took for your birthday to come around every year? Isn't that funny to think about? I know when you were little, it seemed like your birthday was never going to get here. Isn't that true? I could write like, I've been six forever, right? I want to be mature and sophisticated and advanced. I want to be seven, right? Life is going to be so much better when I'm seven. And that anticipation made it seem like it was never going to get here. Now, if you're like me, it can be the week of your birthday and you have, you have not even thought about it being your birthday, right? You don't care all that much because it turn, I know 46 is going to feel a whole lot like 45 did, only probably slightly worse. There's not that much anticipation, so it doesn't make it go so slowly. Well, today in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us that even as adults... Even as us mature, um, sophisticated folks, we should not lose all of those feelings of great anticipation because Paul, in talking about the eternity that Christ won for us, he's going to let us know today we have something to look forward to that is almost unfathomably awesome. And there should be a longing inside of us that's way greater than waiting for that next birthday when we were little. To to set the context of, of where we're at, here's the last thing Paul said to us. Click me one time. Click me one time there, said I'm stuck. There we go. Last thing Paul said to us last week. He said, we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we also may be glorified with him. So that's the last thing Paul said before we open our Bibles today. Because of what Christ did for us, he has made us God's children. And because we're God's children, we've been written into the will. We are co-heirs with Christ. As Christians, We are going to inherit everything that Jesus will inherit. Now, there is something to look forward to. But Paul wants us to know that the reality of our future inheritance that we look forward to, it doesn't negate the reality of our present lives. Because even though today Paul will be talking about our inheritance, our eternity, heaven, He's going to talk also about our current suffering. The message of Christianity is not a self-help message. We don't come here to learn how to be good Christians so that we won't have it tough in life. Like if we're good, God will make sure our circumstances are good. That's not the way this works. That's not what we are promised. Christians get sick. Christians get injured. Christians lose jobs. Christians lose relationships. And when we do, 
doesn't mean that God has fallen asleep. It doesn't mean that this faith isn't working. It doesn't mean God's not in control. And it doesn't mean God's not good. Today, Paul is going to let us know there's going to be suffering on this earth. He's going to tell us why there's suffering on this earth. But he's also going to tell us it's always going to be worth it. Glory, Paul will say, awaits. And it will make everything we go through here very much worth it. Let's read our passage this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to study verses 18 through 25. And they read this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longings of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In that verse we read from last week's passage, Paul said we're going to suffer. Last week's passage, Paul said if we, if we get serious about killing our sin to live for Christ, there's going to be suffering involved with that. So there was suffering. And then in today's passage, Paul says that um, we have present sufferings here in verse 18. Our world has been subjected to futility or frustration. That's verse 20. Everything in our world is in slavery to corruption or in the bondage to decay. That's verse 22. And I point all those words out first just to again be clear. I want you to hear this. Suffering is normative. It's, it's normal. It's universal for people on this planet. The hope of Christianity is the hope that someday our suffering will end. There's something better waiting. That's what Paul wants us to know in verse 18, and he says it way better than I could. This is the main idea, the topic sentence of the passage. Paul says this, For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. First, I want you to notice before I say anything else about this verse, that word right there, will, I want you to notice how confident Paul is that there's something better after this life for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This, this will, I don't want to go all Greek teacher on you here, but will be revealed to us. That's not a future tense verb. And here's how we know this. Biblical Greek doesn't have a future tense. Uh, 
That is a separate word that just marks sureness. It makes it emphatic. Paul is saying, glory shall, will, absolutely be revealed to us. And by us, he's talking about the ones who are God's children, saved by faith, by God's grace. So there's something better coming, and what's better is glory. Now, what's, what's glory? Well, I don't want to spend too long on this because Paul doesn't. But a time is coming when um, either we will die on this earth and we will enter into glory. But a, in the, the bigger picture, there's a time coming when God's going to call it a wrap. All right, that's it for this world. And Jesus is going to return, we're told in the scriptures, in his, what? In all of his glory. And here's what that looks like. Jesus' glory is his power, his like splendor, brightness, um, the way he will shine, his authority, his holiness, his purity. Well, in some way, because we're told when Jesus comes for us, he will make us like he is. We will never be all that he is, but we will be glorious. We will shine. We will be bright. We will be holy. We will be perfect. We will be sinless. We will reign with him over his inheritance that we, that we share. That's what's coming. But Paul's main point is not to describe what's coming. He doesn't tell us anything about it, really. Paul's main point is this, and don't miss it. Paul's main point is, whatever suffering you might be suffering, O Christian, whatever suffering you may have suffered, O Christian, no matter how, how big, how dark, how thick, how dense, no matter the mass of the sufferings with which you have suffered, Paul says it can't even be compared to the glory that's coming. Paul doesn't tell us what that looks like, but he does tell us this. Christianity is not some yin-yang thing where everything's going to balance out in the end, right? Whatever evil you go through is going to be balanced out by equal good. There's no balance here. It's completely unbalanced. Paul says, however much suffering you suffered, the amount of glory is going to far surpass it in weight, in length, in intensity, in everything. And that is really, really good news. And it's really important to remember that. We have to remember that. Otherwise, when it is our turn to suffer, if we don't remember, our real hope is that no matter how bad this is, for the Christian, glory is going to be immeasurably better. If we don't remember that, we'll be tempted to be disillusioned with God when it's our turn to suffer. Like God is not holding up some end of some bargain he never actually made. Here's the bargain. Place your faith in Christ Jesus in this life. Live for him and hold on and the payoff is way better than anything anyone could go. Think of the people God, that, that Paul wrote this to. Christians in Rome under Nero. 
Before long, he's going to start soaking them in pitch and lighting them on fire. That kind of suffering doesn't hold a candle to the glory. Before long, he's going to put them in like the Colosseum and the Christians come out of this door and the lions come out of that door. Not even to be compared with the glory that's coming. That's our bargain. And it's a good one. The rest of this passage, don't let your suffering shake your faith. That's the main idea. And the rest of this passage is why this is true. Why is there suffering in the world? Why would a good God who's in control allow suffering? Why will this be worth it? What does our sureness of glory, what does that do for us about the way we feel on earth now? That's what Paul wants to talk to us about. The rest of the passage is all about why this is true. We start in verse 19 with, with what I think is a really fascinating hint at how good glory, heaven, eternity is going to be. Paul writes, for the creation eagerly waits or waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God or for the sons of God to be revealed. Paul uses, I can't help it as an English teacher, so when I see like figurative language, you know, it does something inside of us, okay? Uh, Paul uses figurative language called personification here. Personification is when non-human things are given human characteristics by a writer, right? Well, the rest of creation, so all of the non-human parts of creation, so the earth, the oceans, the mountains, the clouds, the animals, all of creation, Paul says, waits in eager expectation. The Greek word right there uh, is a word that means like uh, when someone stretches their neck to peer and get a glimpse of something. One commentator says, what Paul is saying is the rest of creation stands on its tiptoes trying to get a glimpse of something it doesn't want to miss. That's personification, because I don't know if you knew this, but mountains don't have eyes, right? And, then, and, and oceans don't have brains. They don't actually, literally look for something. But Paul's making a point here. What, what is all of creation looking at that it wants to catch a glimpse of that's so interesting? You see what it is? It's us. It was a week ago for us, but then the previous, just a few sentences before, we are the sons of God who have received the adoption as sons by faith. So what Paul says here, he says it's like the rest of creation can't take its eyes off you and me, sinners, because it just doesn't want to miss when we are revealed to be what we actually are. The revelation of the sons of God. It's like if the mountains could, they would be watching us all the time. Because here's what Paul wants to Are you aware that someday God's going to recreate creation? Right? It's, we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. Earth 2.0, better than ever. Right? Is there going to be some awesome things that God does when he remakes this place? Yes, but don't miss what Paul's saying here is the main event is what is going to be what God does with us. The rest of creation knows 
Like if the rest of creation could, it would be watching us because even though God's going to make it awesome again, it won't hold a candle to what God does with forgiven sinners. One reason why, um, if creation could keep its eyes on us waiting to see, is this the day? Is this the day when God calls it a wrap and saves those sinners and makes them like Jesus? One reason why, if, it, if creation could wait in eager expectation and watch us and keep its eyes on us, it would do that is because verse 20, 20 and 21, Paul tells us that creation is going to get, like I just said, remade. And when, when Jesus comes again for sinful people, and, and makes us like him all at once, when he calls it a wrap on this, that's like the starter pistol for some other incredible things that are going to happen, which includes God remaking the heavens and the earth. So Paul says one reason why the creation would keep looking at us is because when creation sees us get changed, creation would know we're next. The planets and the mountains and the earth and the animals and everything. And Paul lets us know the earth needs it. God is going to remake the earth better than ever. And it needs an extreme earth makeover. It really does. Because Paul says in verse 20 that the all of creation was subjected to God's curse against its will. That just means this world of ours is broken. It doesn't work the way it ought to work. But it was broken. It was cursed by God. Uh, this translation says against its will. We could say of no fault of its own. Paul is alluding to, uh, referring to the story of Genesis chapter 3. God creates the world. He creates the first man and woman. He puts them in that world. And... Uh, says, if you eat from that tree over there, I'll kill you. Right? And they eat from that tree. And God said, the wages of sin is death. And so God curses humankind. But part of our curse, our punishment, is the planet God created perfect for us. He made imperfect. Creation was subjected to God's curse. God is the one who subjected the earth to futility, to frustration. But it's our punishment. So this planet's never worked right. It's not its fault. It's our fault because of sin. So our planet that was created to sustain life perfectly now gives us hurricanes and droughts and pandemics and plagues and tornadoes and earthquakes part of the curse. But it was cursed with hope. It was cursed with hope. Hidden inside this little verse, the first half of what's on the screen, is part of the answer to this question. 
If God's good and God is in control, why is there so much suffering? Why is there genocide? Why is, why is, where are there pandemics? Why is there murder and terrorism? Why doesn't God do something about this stuff? Here's why. This is all part of the curse. And it sort of has to be this way, and God knew it would be this way. And here's my, my best explanation for that. Once mankind sinned, and God had promised, you sin, the wages, what you earn is death. God had a decision to make. God said, I could either display justice, swift justice, and wipe these people out and be done with it. And God would have been righteous and just to do just that. But God decided, I'm going to be patient with sin. I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm going to, I'm going to forbear sin, which means put up with, for a limited time only, sin. Once God decided that, God knew, because he's God, that this planet would get very dark. He knew that human beings would mine the depths of depravity, and we would hurt one another very badly. But here's what we do. We think God is unjust for allowing whatever our list is of big ones. God should not allow genocide. He should not allow murder. He should not allow rape. He should not allow kidnapping. He should not allow whatever, whatever your list is. And people who refuse to believe in God hold that list up and say, if kids are dying of starvation and disease, you can't be real or you can't be in control or you can't be good. Because there's a certain, certain limit of badness that you should never allow. And I've got the list right here. The problem with that is, while we're doing that, we're also necessarily saying this to the same God. But this, the bad stuff I do, you should let that slide. Right? I mean, I don't murder anybody. Don't use Jesus' definition from the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, because yes, you do. But beside that, I don't, you know, I don't murder and rape, and I'm not a terrorist. So my sin is not that big of a deal. You can let that go. But that stuff over there, if you were good, you would wipe out. Right from the garden, God had to decide, I'm either going to swift justice for sin or forbear sin. And once he decided to forbear sin... God's standards of justice are God's standard or of righteousness are God's standards of righteousness. If God's going to judge sin, and he is, God can't use your definition of what's acceptable and not acceptable. He has to use his definition of what is acceptable and not acceptable. So if he's going to forbear sin, he must forbear sin. And God knew that would get dark and painful and so now we have this condition on this planet where we have universal suffering because the planet itself is broken and there's famine and drought and all those things. And then we have universal suffering because the people on the broken planet are broken and we hurt each other. But our suffering 
is not without hope. Because the creation looks forward to the day when even it will join us in being freed from death and decay. God promised from the garden also, the serpent crusher, the curse reverser, his name was Jesus. He has been here. All the punishment the curse deserved fell on him. When we believe in him, that becomes effective for us. We have no more condemnation. And now we just wait in eager hope for the day God fixes all this. That's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And, and Paul says something incredible here. He says, um, right now, all of creation is in prison to decay, or it is um, in, uh, it's enslaved to uh, decay, rot, death. Here's what that means. Think of the things you've seen that are the most beautiful, natural things you've ever... Have you ever looked at something that just makes you... It's just awe-inspiring. Have, have you ever looked out over some vista in the Rockies and just like, like, I don't even know what to say. It just takes my breath away. Have you ever looked at a sunset over the plains in the summer? A, a beach, an ocean view a high waterfall, whatever your thing is. Have you ever seen something that's so breathtakingly wonderful, it really makes you worship the one who created it? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever tasted something that tastes so good like it almost hurts? For me, it's like a vine-ripened peach. It's just like, how can something taste this good? It's incredible. You know what? Paul says in Romans 8.21, as good as that is, it's that good from inside slavery to rot and decay. This is God's way of saying through Paul, you think that looks good? Just wait. Because when I fix everything and remake everything, you haven't seen, you haven't tasted, you haven't smelled, you haven't experienced anything that's not slowly rotting and decaying. And I'm going to show you what this place should have looked like all along and then some. That's good news. Verse 22, Paul reiterates Again, what he's already said, suffering's universal, but hope remains. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Just from that verse, how much of what God has created is groaning and is suffering? How much? All of it. I should say, raise your hand if you're part of all of it, right? <laughs> suffering is universal. One reason suffering hurts so bad, you never are lonelier than when you're suffering. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You know why? Because nobody else is feeling what you're feeling right then. Isn't that true? 
No one understands. No one gets this. One thing that makes suffering hurt so bad is it's doled out in uneven dollops, right? This person suffers this much for this long. This person only suffers this much for this long. How come I have to be like that person? I don't get to be like this person. It seems unfair. It's unequal. But Paul wants us to know today, you're not alone in suffering because the whole creation groans in suffering. But is there hope? Yeah, check this out. Our suffering as Christian, as Christians, we suffer the pains of childbirth. I don't know if you are aware of this, but I've never felt what childbirth feels like, right? From, at least from this side. Rachel and I decided a long time ago that, that she would bear the children in our relationship and I would mow the lawn and change the oil. And I think that's a pretty fair trait. But I was there three times and it hurts, but it hurts with hope. For Christians, our suffering, it's real. The suffering of Christians is not trying to make, convince ourselves that this really doesn't hurt. The Bible wouldn't call it suffering if it didn't hurt, because it wouldn't be suffering. But our suffering is always the suffering of the maternity ward, not the hospice unit. You know what I mean? Our suffering is just hang on for a little bit longer until creation is like fully effaced. And this glory is going to be born. And it's going to be better than anything we've ever experienced. And then in verse 23, Paul goes all infomercial on us because he says almost literally, but wait, there's more. He's already told us, no matter how much you suffer, the glory is going to be better. You haven't seen anything that's not spoiled and rotten and decaying. It's going to be so great. Then he says, not only this, but wait, there's more. Then he says, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There's something fascinating in here. Paul says something really surprising. He says, all of us ourselves, we groan and suffer. That's not surprising. Everything he's told us so far, we should expect that. But do you see in verse 23 why Paul says we groan? Christians, we groan in a way other people don't groan. Paul says we in ourselves, we groan because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan. Now that's a weird thing to say. Shouldn't having the Holy Spirit inside of us make things better? But Paul says, We groan within ourselves because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Paul says elsewhere, lots of places, when we we believe in Jesus Christ, we get indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of every believer. And that makes us groan. Because we know we just have the first fruits. First fruits means... Uh, it was an old, uh, old Testament 
festival where you'd take just the first part of your harvest, the first sheaves of barley or whatever, and you would take that and give that to the Lord because you're confident more is coming. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, he illumines, authors the scriptures and illumines us. So we know that the better is coming. We know that what Paul's been telling us is true. And part of that is awesome, but part of that should make us like the little kid who feels like my birthday's never going to get here. Because we know glory awaits. How many of you have ever gotten to the point where you just want this to end? When we have the Holy Spirit and we're so sure of our hope, it gives us this kind of groaning like, enough already, God. And that's okay. Because we are waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is the redemption of our body. Now, wait just a minute, Paul. Last week, you told us we already were adopted. This was from last week's passage. We already have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That's why we can call. Uh, we don't have to call God master, slave driver. He's Abba. He's daddy. Because we're already adopted. But here Paul says we groan because we are waiting our adoption. Christianity is full of these things where we're already, but we're not yet. We're already righteous before God, but we're not yet righteous before God, right? We're already adopted. We're just not yet fully adopted. You ever seen the video of the little blonde haired girl in a school uniform who walks into the office at school and learns she's going to be adopted and you see her reaction? You ever seen that video? You're about to. It's awesome. Here's a little girl. She's been in foster care her whole life. And court has been in session. She wasn't there. And she goes into the office, and a school official is going to tell her, the judge ruled in your favor. You are getting a forever mommy and daddy. And here's her reaction. that awesome? Now, this is not her story, but I just want you to imagine that that little girl in foster care is across the ocean from her forever mommy and daddy. And she just got word, the judge, all the paperwork's been notarized. It's been, it's been ordained. You are getting a forever mommy and daddy but it's gonna be six months before they can come pick you up. What would that six months be like for that little girl? Would it be excruciating? Would it seem like every day 
Like, are you kidding me? It's, it's never going to, it would, in some ways it would hurt worse. And maybe some of the other kids in foster care, when they learned she thinks she's getting a forever mommy and daddy, how would they react? There's no one who would ever adopt you. That's not real. That's not true. They're never going to show up. So in some ways, that six months between when she was adopted and when her forever mommy and daddy came to get her would actually be more painful than before. But do you think she would ever go back and trade that six months of pain for the numbness of just being in foster care, orphaned? No way. Those six months would maybe be some of the most painful days she's ever known and the best days she's ever known all at the same time. Listen, Christian, that is, that's you and me. That is where we live. Our forever daddy is the judge. He's the one that decreed. You've already received the adoption as sons, which means full inheritance rights. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are adopted in a couple weeks, Paul's going to tell us, and there is nothing anywhere that could ever separate you from your forever daddy. He just hasn't come to pick you up yet. And sometimes that's why we groan. Because I just want to see him. And I want it to be better. And that is the hope we live in and with. That is the hope in which we were saved. We're already saved. We're just not yet fully with our forever daddy. That's why Paul reminds us at the end of this passage, hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Paul says, look around. Don't hope for anything you can see down here. You know why? Because it's all rotten. It's not as good as what's coming unless you're looking at other people who are eternal also. That's where you value. We have this terrible habit as human beings to think, I would feel better if I could just have a little more of this stuff I already have. It's ridiculous, but it's real. Paul says, if we can just hope for what we do not see, that's when we will eagerly wait for it, for the best, for glory with endurance. That's where our endurance comes from. If our endurance, if our real hope is not my daddy, my forever daddy is coming. He's just not here yet. That's what I want. That's what I'm living for. You can do whatever you want to me down here. That's where my hope is. If we don't live like that, this world will kick us off our other hopes and we'll go crazy. That's when we lose our minds It's when we fight fights we shouldn't fight. It's when we run over people we shouldn't run over. That's when we just... But if we hope for what we do not see, we will eagerly wait for it with endurance. Folks, this world's full of suffering. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want me to suffer. Believe me. I don't want you to suffer the sufferings that come from living on a broken planet. I don't want yours to, your field to get the hailstorm, right? I don't want you to get COVID. 
right? I don't want you to suffer those sufferings that come from living on a broken planet. I also don't want you to suffer the sufferings that come from being around broken people. I don't want you to suffer abuse and neglect and rejection and all those things. But I do want you to know suffering is universal. And it's common. Just keep your eyes on your real hope. We are all like that little blonde-haired girl, if we believe in Jesus, who have gotten word we've been adopted. Just our forever daddy hasn't decided to come get us quite yet. But he will. So we can endure until he does. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our living hope, a hope that can never die because it is in you. God, we all tend to get our eyes placed on temporary, false, rotten hopes, kindling and worm food. God, help us train our hearts on our eternity. Help us train our eyes and our minds on our eternity. Live in the joy that our forever daddy is coming. Even when we must groan while we wait. Thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will come for us and that all of the suffering we could ever suffer does, is not to even be compared to the glory that awaits for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And in his name, we all say, amen. And finish.